Well, good morning. Look with me at your bulletin where it says silent meditation. This certainty of perseverance, however, is so far from exciting in believers a spirit of pride or of rendering them carnally secure that on the contrary, it is the real source of humility, filial reverence, true piety, patience in every tribulation. Fervent prayers, constancy in suffering and in confessing the truth and of solid rejoicing in God so that the consideration of this benefit should serve as an incentive to the serious and constant practice of gratitude and good works as appears from the testimonies of, of scripture and the examples of the saints. Well, I want to welcome you to church this morning. My name is Nick Stalnos. I'm one of the pastors here. If you're visiting with us, I want to extend a special welcome to you. We love when we have visitors, people who come and join us for worship. If you would, you'll see that blue card in the pew rack in front of you. Please fill that out and drop it off either a little bit later when the offering plate goes by or you can bring it to the Welcome Center in the back. It would help us give a re get a record of your attendance and we'll be able to reach out to you in a more personal way. Those of you who got the blast from this past Friday, I just wanted to clarify something. So Sunday, April 3rd, which is uh, two Sundays from now, the session is going to meet with anyone who is interested in, in joining in membership. So I just wanted to clarify, if you're a newcomer, that doesn't mean that you have to come and meet with the elders. But if you're thinking about membership, that will be a time for you to come and meet with the elders about that. So I just wanted to clarify that. And then also, uh, ladies, if on your way in, uh, Paula is handing out information to you. And one of the things, uh, there is uh, a women's retreat coming up. So I encourage you to check that out and to, uh, to do that if you're able to. And then finally, you've heard me, you've heard Pastor Jerry speak about preschool classes and the, the growing number of children that we have here. And wanted to let you know that in a few weeks, we're going to be expanding those preschool classes. So we won't have to have so many in one room, but we've got enough helpers and we've got enough kids so that we can spread them out a little bit. So you'll be hearing more information about that. And as you see, the straights are not here this morning. They are up in Indiana for the ordination of their oldest son as a deacon in the church. You've heard a little bit about that. So they're up there for the weekend, and they should be back early this week. So we'll keep them in prayer as well. So let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll follow this by the Lord's prayer. Our great God and Father, we do thank you that you've gathered us together today to be in your house, to be with your people, to come to you with our concerns, to come to you with our thanksgiving, to come to you glorifying you. So thank you that you have called us to be here. Thank you for the many blessings that we experience. Thank you for Pastor Strait and for his family. Thank you that they can travel to Indiana to be with other family. And we pray that they are having a good and restful time and that you would bring them back safely to us. We think of others who are facing uh, health concerns and troubles in families and so many different things going on. We ask God for your help. Help them, help us to minister to them. And may we be your people who are waiting and patient and trusting in you. And now we pray the prayer, Lord Jesus, that you taught us to pray when you said, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I invite you to stand now for the call to worship. It comes to us from Psalm 9. I'll read the first part and then let's all respond together in the bold part. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds and exalt in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. 
Please remain standing as we confess our faith together. Turn to the next page where it says confession of faith. I'll read the question and then let's all respond together. What is God? God is a spirit in and of himself, infinite in being, glory, blessedness, and perfection, all sufficient, eternal, unchangeable, incomprehensible, everywhere present, almighty, knowing all things, most wise, most holy, most just, most merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. Could you imagine if we believe that consistently? We could almost just go home right now and, and go out and live. The call to confession is simply the expression of what God's standard is, and in so many ways throughout Scripture, God is telling us the way that we should live. So let me read to us from Psalm 139. Verses 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. So we're asking God to search us. And we come to him in prayer. So let's pray this prayer that is printed for you in the bulletin. God of love... In the wrong we have done and in the good we have not done, we have sinned in ignorance. We have sinned in weakness. We have sinned through our own deliberate fault. We are truly sorry. We repent and turn to you. Forgive us and renew our lives through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. And if you would, please take a few moments right now to silently and privately confess your sins to the Lord. So we've confessed our sins together publicly and privately in our own hearts. We probably just scratched the surface of all the ways that we have fallen short of what our God calls us to do. But we come to him with humility and we come to him hearing and depending on what he will say next. And this is what he says from Isaiah 44. Remember these things, O Jacob and Israel, for you are my servant. I formed you, you are my servant. O Israel, you will not be forgotten by me. I have blotted out your transgressions like a cloud and your sins like mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. So look to Jesus, his kindness, his forgiveness. Trust in his promise. Trust that what he has done has taken away our sin and has given us new life. So look to him, friends, brothers and sisters. I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 131, Psalm 131. If you've been here for a while, you'll know that we've been working through the Psalms of Ascent. They are the Psalms that God's people would sing and remind themselves of as they prepared to go to Jerusalem to worship. And in a similar way, it's teaching us how to come to the Lord in worship. So let me read for us Psalm 131. This is God's word, a song of ascents of David. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too wonderful or marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Let's pray once again. Our God and our Father, we need your help this morning to listen and to learn and to be changed by these great truths that you have for us, these truths that come from your heart. We ask for your help. We ask for the Holy Spirit that you do wonderful things in us for the glory of your name. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is a psalm about being calm about being calmed. And as I thought about it, I thought about all of the different causes of distress that we experience. And even think about this past week. I'll start with something that's not so important and get to more important things. But how many of you were distressed when your NCAA 
March Madness bracket was broken. Uh, I'm happy to say that my bracket is perfect. Because even though I wanted to, I didn't have time to fill one out this week. So I spared myself from that distress. But like I said, moving on to more important things, there's war in Ukraine, very high gas prices than probably most of us have ever seen, inflation. We saw a person this week who identified as transgender win first place in an NCAA women's swimming competition. Maybe a little closer to home, you experience distress in your job, at school, at home, or in your marriage. Some of you are experiencing health issues, or your loved ones are experiencing that. Um, Young people, especially, are under great pressure right now to define themselves to define themselves according to how they feel or what they can accomplish or in ways that they can distinguish themselves from the crowd. And if you don't have this figured out and if you're not succeeding in it, it can cause great distress. So these are just some examples. And then you'll see the title that I have for the sermon today is How Do You Calm Your Soul? So these were just examples of distress that we experienced over the past week or longer. How do you calm yourself? So perhaps right now, answer in your heart. How do you tend to calm yourself? It's probably a mixture of of good and bad. There's probably a mixture of faithfulness in your life, but a mixture of perhaps going to other things to comfort and calm yourself. Here's a few things that I listed. Comfort food. Right? We know what comfort food is. I'm not sure what it is for you but this is something that we often go to when we're distressed or bored. What about logging on to social media? Which is really strange because when you log on and you see what's going on, it causes more distress. And sometimes it takes great self-control to turn it off. So you turn off the phone and then you turn on the news. And you'll quickly see, if you can kind of read between the lines, that a lot of what we see on cable news is causing us to want to be more distressed. To be more distressed and then to agree with whoever is speaking, to align with that person, and then uh, that will somehow give you a sense of peace. If you align yourself with the right person who's speaking and then you uh, can experience peace because perhaps you're on the right team. Sometimes we just distract ourselves. Again, what I mentioned, entertainment or electronics. We can, in a way, take a break from the distress when we, again, log on or turn on the TV. We can kind of put it to the side for a while. Or sometimes simply we avoid the problem. There's distress and it seems too overwhelming for us and we try to think about something else. Or sometimes we try to provide for ourselves. Again, as I mentioned, some of the distresses that we're experiencing are way bigger than we can fix ourselves. But we try to fix it ourselves. We self-medicate. Sometimes we buy something. We joke about retail therapy. We seek achievement. And in seeking some special achievement, we think, I am good because I accomplished something. We want to be on the right side of history. We want to align ourselves with the right political tribe. These are all ways that we try to calm the distress in our soul and the way that we try to calm what we see is happening all around us is out of control. I think about the old Seinfeld episode when Frank Costanza is experiencing distress and he hears these audio tapes and he's encouraged to say, Serenity now! Every time he, he experiences something distressful and by the way that he keeps saying it out loud, it doesn't seem like it's working very well. 
So how do you calm your soul? Well, this morning we come to God's word and we come hearing a different answer, perhaps an answer that we know, but we've forgotten. We've, we've failed to apply. So if you're taking notes, I'm going to talk about uh, three things. Humility, harmony, and hope. Humility, harmony, and hope. And these are the things that David speaks to us uh, as he wrote in the psalm. And the big idea today is that because God cares for us, our highest calling is to hope in him. Because God cares for us, our highest calling is to hope in him. So how did David calm his soul, and what can we learn from his testimony? Well, first, we see that David humbled himself before the Lord. Look with me at that verse again, verse 1. David says, O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. One commentator pointed out, he said, that even though David was the king, he resisted two things. He resisted pride and he resisted presumption. So pride undervalues people. It looks around at others and says, these people are not as good as me. I'm more valuable. I'm more important. And David rejected those things, even though he was the king, even though he had the highest position as a leader among God's people. He knew that the place to be was humbled before the Lord. He came to the Lord with humility we see images of pride in the Bible. Proverbs 16, 8, 16, 18 says, Pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. We even hear that quoted by people who don't even believe the Bible. It's just a common phrase, pride goes before a fall. In Psalm 101, verse 5, it says, Whoever slanders his neighbor secretly, I will destroy. Whoever has a haughty look, and an arrogant heart I will not endure. So do you enjoy spending time with proud, arrogant people? No, I don't. And neither does God. Even though David was the king, he had attained that position only because of the Lord's blessing and only because he was walking by faith in the Lord. So even though David was the king, he submitted himself to the true king, and he came to God with humility. So he resisted pride, but he also res resisted presumption. Presumption is overestimating yourself. The Bible speaks about it elsewhere in Deuteronomy 8.14. It says, Then your heart be lifted up, and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. There were so many instances after the exodus of God providing for his people, and you would think, of course, they're going to continue in faith and keep being obedient and keep being faithful. But then the next event happens, and they're ready to throw Moses away. They're ready to go back to Egypt. They see what the Lord did, but they forget so quickly and they think that they can provide for themselves. They think that they know better for themselves. This is presumption. In Hosea 13, 6, it says, But when they had grazed, they became full. They were filled, and their heart was lifted up. Therefore, they forgot me. So much material blessing, so much wealth, we've got to be careful. We've got to be careful that we don't trust in those things to bring us peace, to bring us security. David didn't, and, and neither can we. We have a right view of ourselves. David embraced humility. 
He exalts God, and in so doing, he humbles himself. He sees the true place of God in his life, and he shows us what it means for God to be in the true place in our lives. He is at the center. So humility is an accurate understanding of God, of others, and of yourself. Seeing things clearly, seeing that God is the greatest, and in Philippians, we're reminded that we are to look not only to our own interests, but also to the interests of others. Because it's not just me that matters to God, it's the person sitting next to me, it's the person behind me, it's the person in front of me that matters to God. Micah 6.8, a familiar verse, says this, He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, and to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. David doesn't occupy himself with things that are too great or too marvelous for him. In other words, he's saying, I have only concerned myself with what the Lord has given me to be concerned with. And again, think of that example of social media. How often do we start distressed and then we go on there and we're getting more and more distressed because we're taking on these people's problems. We don't even know who they are and their problems become our problems. Now, we are to have an impact in this world, but most of us are never going to have a national platform. Most of us are not going to be asked by a, a, a big group of reporters what we think on any given issue. And again, the temptation on social media is, metaphorically speaking, we've got all these microphones in front of us, and we're being told to be an expert on all these different things. And I'm just here to tell you, stop. Not necessarily get off social media, but that burden is not to be placed upon you, to be an expert in everything and to be on the right side of history of everything. But we should spend a little bit more time what God is calling us to do. Us as a church, us individually, what has God given us to be concerned with? Lots of people are worrying. Lots of people are fretting about what's going on in the world and what's going on here and there. But instead, we should be spending more time thinking about what has God given me to do? What has God given me to do right here with the people around me? What has God given me to do with the people who live on my street or in my community? And you could do something good. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. Sometimes we're so focused on knowing things, knowing the future, knowing how things are going to turn out, that we don't think about what God has given us to do, what he's already told us, and we would simply trust in him. So Matthew Henry said this, to know God in our duty is learning sufficiently high for us. That is high learning. A wise person is someone who knows what God has called him or her to do and is doing it and is walking in relationship with God. Again, lots of people want to change the world, but they don't begin with God. They don't begin a relationship with him. And then they become the center. They are the center of change, and they are the ones that everyone should look to. Again, sometimes we are just doing, we're trying to do other people's jobs, and we're not doing our job. Another commentator said, speaking of this psalm, he says, the image of tranquility we readily admire, don't we? someone who's calm, someone who's tranquil, but it's advice we all too readily dismiss as impractical. When things go wrong, the temptation is to make ambitious plans and redouble our efforts. This psalm of ascent counsels God's people to engage in contemplation before action. Engage in contemplation before action. We have been trained the world has squeezed us into its mold that there are so many problems out there, we just got to get to work. No time to think about it. Just do what I say and everything will be fine. 
But did you know that Jesus prayed before he went to work? Mark 1.35. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And then he went. Do you think Jesus knew all the problems? Better than anybody. Did he let other people plan his ministry for him? Only his father. He prayed to his father. He depended upon him. And then he went out and did the work. And many of us skip that step. Even us as Christians, but certainly our non-Christian friends. Everybody wants to change the world. Everybody wants to make an impact. But we don't start with our relationship with God. We're actually trying to fix that relationship with God problem by doing something by feeling good about ourselves, by making a name for ourselves. And God in his grace can still accomplish good things through that, but it doesn't fix that fundamental problem of our relationship with God that's broken by sin and can only be healed by Jesus and what he did for us. Once you get that straight, once you get that Jesus is the one who heals you, who calms you, who enables you to come before God in humility, then he can trust you to do his work his way. So that's what we need. Maybe that's the message you needed to hear this morning. Instead of trying to change the world, you've got to have a heart change. You need to have your relationship with God changed from a relationship of pushing him away, from a relationship of trying to establish yourself as someone worthy and seeing Jesus as the worthy one, as seeing yourself as the one who needed to be saved, as fundamentally not a good person, but someone who needed Jesus to come and save you. God can use people like that. And those are the people that you want to be around. Like I said, we don't want to be around a proud person. I don't want to be around a proud person. And as we get that straight, we become humble. And we can serve him in humility. And when God begins to do more and more good things through us, we can say, praise God, he's working in my life. If it were up to me, I wouldn't even care. Or I would be doing something for my own selfish, I don't know, building myself up. But God showed me that there is a better way of putting Jesus first, that he is greater than me, that I needed to be saved by him. So friends, this is humility. Secondly, harmony. Harmony. We see here that David calmed himself in God's care. He calmed himself in God's care. Look with, ver- look, at me. look with me at verse two. He says, but I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. So we see that David took care of his soul with God's truth. David calmed his soul by speaking truth to it. His soul was having fits like an unhappy baby. And he had learned through experience how to calm and quiet himself down. Do you ever feel like that? Your heart is raging within you. Your soul is troubled. You can't fix it. You're trying to settle down. And nothing works. We've got to learn like David to speak to our soul. Sometimes we need to tell our soul something. Psalm 42, 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Sometimes we don't know. Sometimes we don't know why our heart and soul is troubled. Sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. But the psalmist says to his soul, Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation. We have the promise in God's word that our soul's distress will not last forever. 
It may feel like forever. It may feel like it's been going on forever. But through God's word, we see a bigger perspective. Again, God is above us. He sees everything. And we can hope in God. And we can even hope in God that he will bring us through and that he will bring us to a place where that distress subsides. So David took care of his soul with God's truth, and he experienced God's care and was calm. He calmed his soul down with the word. This word in Hebrew means to, it it calms down, it settles, it smooths things out. It evens things out, it levels off. It means to settle, to soothe. And then quieted means to be motionless, to stand still, to be quiet. Again, so many metaphors. But God is calming us down. He's quieting us down with his truth. I thought of the words of the hymn, what we have, what a friend we have in Jesus. You know the words, what a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear, and what a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Have you experienced that? Your soul's distress Real distress in your life and the lives of others? Do you bring it to the Lord in prayer? Have you experienced that peace? I know some of you are being pushed to the limit right now with what's going on in your life, and the Lord is actually pushing you into more and more prayer. And we joke about it, but it's true that God is causing us to depend upon upon him. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Have we trials and temptations? Let's say amen. Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful? Who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Do you know that he's been standing and waiting, watching you in the distress of your soul? He's so patient. We learned about patience last week, didn't we? Patience to see how the Lord will answer our prayers. Much waiting, much perseverance. Think about Jesus' perseverance and his love for you and for me. He sees all the ways that we try to supply for ourselves. He sees all the ways that we try to calm ourselves down with distraction, with trying to be right all the time. And there is Jesus. He's waiting to calm us down with his truth and with his love. He is our faithful friend. He says, just bring those concerns to me. I will help you. I've surrounded you with God's people who will pray for you. Our Heavenly Father does not keep us from all pain. Sometimes we wish that he would. Sometimes it's hard to imagine that God would allow us to experience so much pain that we have or so much pain in our loved ones. But for God's people, he redeems it. And as you go on in your Christian life, you see how the times when God didn't keep you from the pain, he enabled you to grow. He made you a deeper, stronger, faithful follower of Christ who's humble, who's useful, who's approachable, who is a person that can minister to other people. Joseph in the Bible experienced much pain and distress in his life, but it had a purpose. Jesus paid Jesus' suffering had a purpose too. Yes, it saves you and me from hell, saves us from the punishment of sin, but he saved you so that you would walk with him in relationship until he calls us home to be with him. His death, his life, his resurrection, him sending the spirit, he did that so that you would walk with him in relationship and that you would serve him as a steward taking care of all the things that he's given you to take care of. Not something that he didn't take you to give you to take care of, 
but what he's given you to do and to become more and more like Jesus in the process. This is where we begin to experience harmony. This is where we begin to be calmed and at peace. Listen to what Paul says in Philippians 2, speaking about our humility, about Jesus' humility. He says this, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from his love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, Paul says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. He humbled himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is the way of life that God has called us to, the wonderful life even though there's difficulty, even though there's pain, God redeemed it all. God redeemed it all. He's working in us, and he says, be humble. Be like my son. Experience these wonders in your life, in the life of those around you. So we see humility being exalted we see harmony being experienced in the life of one who has learned to depend on the Lord. Like a child who is weaned, satisfied, knows where to go to be fed, to be taken care of. Thirdly, we see hope. David occupied himself with hope in God and urged the people of God to join him. Again, David didn't occupy himself with these great things. He occupied himself with hope in God. That is where he wanted to stay. That is where he lived. That is where he was most effective as a servant of God, dependent upon his God, trusting in his promises, and being a servant and a servant leader to God's people. Hope in this verse, and let me read it, verse 3, O Israel, hope in the Lord, from this time forth and forevermore. Hope here is an imperative verb. In other words, it's a command. Hope in the Lord. And you might say, how am I going to hope in the Lord? <laughs> I feel so hopeless inside. Yet here God says, hope in the Lord. Again, how do you soothe, how do you calm your soul? You're trying these other things. You're trying to fix it. Hope in the Lord. Hope in his ability, his strength, his plan. Again, so many of us get so disappointed because God is not following our plan for our lives. And we forget that he is the main, he's the main actor. He is the one with the master plan, and we have been written into his story. And we are blessed to be a part of what he's doing. And we so often make others feel like they are blessed because they're part of what I'm doing. To hope is to wait for, to wait patiently, like we learned last week in Psalm 130. Psalm 130, verse 5, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. Think of the peace that you would experience if you did that more consistently. Psalm 71, 14, but I will hope continually and will praise you yet more and more. Make that your goal this week. Make that your goal today. Less worry, more hope in the Lord, more investment in his word, more having your mind and your heart occupied with what he's saying and with what he's doing. God alone is sufficient to take care of you and me today and forever. Again, we're, we, we get so focused about worrying about tomorrow. 
Jesus said, each day has enough trouble of its own. I'll quote another hymn, my favorite hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Blessings all mine with 10,000 beside. Who knows what the Lord is going to do through us as we trust him more and more. Whatever he does, it's great. He's going to answer in unexpected ways. He's got all these blessings for us, blessings untold. It shows us that he's in control. We make plans, sometimes they work out, sometimes they don't. But what does this hope in the Lord look like day by day? I'll take you back to Philippians 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Hope we would remember that, that the Lord is at hand. We wouldn't say what we say so much. We wouldn't have the outbursts that we have. We wouldn't fret so much if we knew and believed that the Lord is at hand. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything. By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Oh, if we would do this more and more, that we would just pray, that we would get on board with God's plan. Oh, the peace that we would experience. Oh, again, the approachableness of our, of our life. People would be able to come to us because we're humble, because we've been changed by Jesus. So we've got humility leading to harmony and then leading to hope, putting our hope in the Lord today and every day again. We can't provide for ourselves forgiveness of sins. We can't provide for ourselves rescue from eternal condemnation. God took care of that. And now he sets us free. So I ask you, will you rely on yourself and on your own resources? You've heard the truth. Or will you humbly rely on your heavenly father? I saw an encouraging story this week. Uh, there's a man in our community, his name is Vincent Leggett. Some of you may even know him. I met him a couple years ago when I was in Annapolis, interviewing people, witnessing to them. And he and I sat down together, and he talked about how he is a volunteer chaplain. I can't remember if it was the fire department or if it was in the jail. And so I took the video. You can see the video on YouTube. It's on my, the page Gospel for Annapolis. And the title of the video is Meeting a Brother in the Lord. But that conversation that I had with him and then talking with him afterwards, he was so encouraged, he was so uplifted that we would talk together and that we could share. But this week I saw a cool story in the news. Uh, Vince leads an organization called Blacks of the Chesapeake. And you may have seen the story that there is a parcel of land in Annapolis that used to be a, a black beach because the beaches were segregated well into last century. And Vince, with cooperation of others, they were able to secure state funding, city funding. The governor was involved, the mayor was involved, Stuart Pittman was involved to do something good, to fund a, a piece of property so that it could be a public beach for people to use. And as I read the article, it said that he had been a part of this project for 20 years. And now, anybody in Annapolis, anybody in the area will be able to go to this beach and enjoy. And they can learn the history of this beach and the way things used to be and the way that we want things to be different. And I would call, I would call Vince a, an acquaintance of mine. I wouldn't say that we're good friends. I'd like to get to know him better if God would allow that. But I thought about that story and I thought about he was being faithful. He was doing something good. He's a man of God. He's a Christian. And he was able to make an impact in his community for many, many people to enjoy. And as I look around this room, we have all sorts of callings. We're doing all sorts of different things. We don't have to try to do anything great. Some of us might. What God wants us to do is be faithful. 
to start with our relationship with God, to make sure that we have that right, that we're sinners saved by grace. And then once we're saved, to look around and see how can I serve? How can I use the gifts that God has given me? How can I use the experiences that I've had to point others to Jesus and to love my neighbor? And it's a wonderful thing. So we come to the Lord in humility. We come to our Lord who humble himself so that we would be comforted forever. And I'm going to pray. And as we prepare to feed at the Lord's table, this is us coming to the Lord in humility, eating the meal that he serves us. So let's come to him in prayer. Thank you, Father, for the beauty of your word, for your love for us, your care for us, the way that you work in our lives. Lord, as we come to your table in a moment, we thank you. You know the plans you have for us, but it's about you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'll have the officers come who are going to help with the Lord's Supper today. So what is the Lord's Supper? As I said, it's the Lord feeding us. This is common bread and common juice, but when we set it aside by prayer and we receive it in faith, we are fed spiritually by the Lord. We are nurtured. We are fed by him. And this meal is for those who realize that they need God, who is for those who realize that they can't save themselves, but only Jesus can save you and save me. So if you've not yet come to a point in your life when you've placed your trust in Jesus, when you haven't yet repented of your sins, I encourage you to use this time to do that, to repent, to put your trust in Jesus. Jesus says, come to me, and I won't cast you out. This meal is for those who see, who realize that they need Jesus, and we get to feed on him by faith spiritually. So if you've made a profession of faith, if you're trusting in Jesus, this meal is for you. Let's pray together and set these things aside. Thank you, Father, for these, uh, this meal that you provided. We ask that you would set apart for a holy purpose for encouraging your people and building us up. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So first, we're going to uh, pass out the bread. Uh, hold it in your hand when it uh, comes by, and then we'll partake of it together. The Lord Jesus Christ, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples. As I am ministering in his name, give this to you and say, take, eat, this is my body, do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake together. In the same manner... He also took the cup, and having given thanks, as had been done in his name, he gave it to the disciples, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Drink from it, all of you. Let's drink together. Let's pray once again. Lord Jesus, thank you for feeding us, that we could partake at your table, that we could be your humble followers. We thank you that we're a part of your family. We pray now as we... We give of our tithes and offerings, Lord, that we would have grateful hearts, that we would know that everything we have from you is a blessing and a gift. Yes, Lord, you help us to work. Yes, Lord, you bless the work of our hands, but we bring it back to you and we say thank you. Please use it how you will for your glory and for the good of many. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Receive now this parting blessing from 2 Thessalonians. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace. Comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Amen.